0: You're listening to the Murphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Murphology Podcast, aka Murph here to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we'll get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? On this episode, meet Sam Wesby. Recently, Sam and his dad loaded up their bikes and rode all the way across the country. Sam started bike touring with the family at the young age of nine and riding across the country with his dad was a bucket list vision for many years. This year, the stars aligned with both of their schedules, so they put a plan and a route together, and away they went. Sam was on a bit of a time crunch, so with fully loaded touring bikes, they launched from Oregon with a goal to end in New Jersey in 45 days. They ended up averaging 86 miles per day, over 42 days, and logged in 3,600 miles. So here is Sam to talk about his adventure and the bond with his dad that strengthened even more while they biked their way across the United States. All right, a warm welcome to Sam Westby. How are you doing, Sam?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Good. So it's been a couple weeks, maybe even a month now, but you and your father completed an epic cross-country bike tour. And I have you on the podcast to hopefully tell the listeners a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, happy to get into the story.
0: Good. And um, most listeners know, I rode my bike across America in 20, I guess it was 2022. It was just last year. And we did the southern tier. So you did a little bit different route than I did. But it'll be fun mm-hmm. to kind of hear your story and then uh, re relive mine.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap.
0: Yeah. Well, before we get into talking about your epic tour, um, tell the listeners where you're from and maybe like what the cycling culture is like there.
1: Sure. I'm living in Boston, Massachusetts now, and I grew up in Wisconsin. So the cycling culture is a bit different. Um, Small town Wisconsin. I'm five minutes in country roads, cornfields, quiet and peaceful. But out here in Boston, there are a ton of people and also a ton of cyclists, although it takes maybe... 20, 30 minutes of riding to get to quieter roads. You're Mm -hmm. never quite in the country, but we have nice rolling hills here. And also the drivers are good once you're not downtown. Sure. Um, If you're biking downtown, then you'll get cut off right turns, left turns. But um, once we're out farther out of the town riding, it's great. Lots of elevation and awesome people to ride with.
0: Good. And are you mostly on pavement or do you dabble in off-road stuff too?
1: I have mostly done pavement. I grew up mountain biking, some cross-country mountain biking a little bit, um, and I bought a gravel bike in March, so I've, I've expanded into a bit of gravel on that trend now.
0: Excellent. And uh, speaking, I'm an Iowan, so man, when you think of uh, Wisconsin and Iowa and the Midwest, there's an awful lot of gravel. So once you <laughs> get that gravel bike and get you know hooked on it, I can see that you'd have a ton of options.
1: Yeah, and we did get surprised with some gravel in Iowa over our cross-country tour. We took a southern route through Iowa, um, but yeah, it's part of the story.
0: Okay, all right. Well, let's get into it. So you literally rode your bike across the entire United States, correct? hmm Wow. Okay, so at what point in life or conversation... Like, how did it come to be where you're like, hey, dad, you want to ride your bike across America? Or maybe he said, hey, son, you want to ride your bike across America?
1: Uh, I, my dad kind of put the bike touring bug in me and my brother at a young age. I think my first bike tour was at, at the age of nine, where we went up to northern Wisconsin to Door County and did a four day tour with my whole family. Mm. Um, and we've always biked a ton. Then since then, I've done bike, bike tours with my friends and my dad's been doing tours since the eighties probably, but he's never done the full cross country. We were thinking about it in 2021 to do a full cross country, but the timing wasn't right. I didn't have enough time off and he didn't have enough time off. So we did a thousand miles around Lake Michigan, mm. which was a great, um, test trip almost, if you will. And then fast forward to now he's retired and I'm in a PhD program in Boston and which where the summers happened to be really flexible, Mm -hmm. so I talked to my advisor about it, and she was okay with me taking 45 days off, Um, and we took the step and did the big kahuna across the whole U.S.
0: Wow. I thought you were going to say something like your advisor was like, well, as long as you study at night while you're in your tent (laughs) trying to relax, Uh, but I'm glad that it it didn't work that way.
1: Yeah. It could have been good timing, too, because she had just gotten back from a vacation in Hawaii, so she was very friendly and open. Um, uh, who knows? But she said yes, and that's all that matters.
0: That's exactly right, yeah. How did you come about with your route choice?
1: Well, when we were first looking at routes, we just Googled cross-country bike tour routes. And the first links are from the Adventure Cycling Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were looking at the Trans-America Trail for a while, but I didn't quite have the, the time budget for that. I think it's 4,500 miles. Um, and then we started thinking about people in different cities across the U.S. who we'd, we'd like to see. So we ended up just designing our route on um, for portions of the Midwest where we hopped on some pre-made routes from Adventure Cycling mm-hmm. and were really impressed with them. Um, so we ended up, we started in Pacific City, Oregon, went down to Salt Lake City, over to Denver and then almost straight east through Columbus, Pittsburgh. And ended in Atlantic City, New Jersey.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you were lucky enough. Let me say that lucky enough to go through Iowa.
1: Yeah, we were we were lucky enough. Iowa treated us treated us really well. Lots of Casey's gas stations, of yes. course. <laughs> um, and when I put the route together, I, I did the Midwest portion from Denver to Muscatine, Iowa. And I used Ride With GPS mostly and Google Satellite View to design these routes. They were a bit uh, deceptive about marking the gravel. I just trusted Ride With GPS blindly for a portion, trying to like hit some gravel, but also trying to hit some pavement just because gravel is so much slower. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of surprise up and down gravel in Iowa. But after a few days of that, we like adjusted our expectations and grew to enjoy the gravel more, mm-hmm. but we didn't quite have the right tires for some of the gravel. We were 32 millimeter, slick tires. Um, and some of the gravel that was rougher, we were just going slower and we had to accept that.
0: Right. And that, um, brings me to a next question is, um, what, what style of biking you were doing, which I already know, cause I saw all of, all of your videos, but, um, did you have support, a support vehicle or were you self-contained?
1: We were self-contained for most of the trip, except for two days where uh, my mom, I guess two nights, my mom met us in the Midwest. She drove down from Wisconsin and we had a full day without our bags where she carried them for us, um, which also happened to be our highest mileage day day, going straight across flat Illinois.
0: I'm guessing those first few miles you were like, freedom, like you're probably like, this is amazing.
1: It was disorienting. My handlebars (laughs) felt a little squirrely. Um, and then,, yeah, over the course of the day, we were starting to be like, oh, like this is ending. We have to put our bags back on tomorrow.
0: <laughs> and for those that maybe don't understand what self-contained means, um, do you want to explain like what all you had on your
1: bike? Sure. So we had packs on our front and back, and I, I had a bit of a different setup than my dad, but um, in the end we just had about 40 liters each where we had our tents, clothing, Carried enough food for two days, enough water for maybe half a day, and we would fill up every day. Um, Also, all the repair stuff and chargers, uh, toiletries, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we would just find a campsite each night and never had to um, go to a store to buy new things or, like, stop and have somebody bring us something.
0: Nice. And um, when I think about, you know, being self-contained, I do a lot of bike touring where I'm fully self-contained. And, you know, like the biggest weight items for me is going to be like, you know, even though I have like a really tiny bike packing tent that is always like bulky and a little bit heavy, but I feel like food and water take up the most weight, but they're obviously the things that you need the most. So do you want to talk about food at all?
1: Yeah, I will. Uh, We ended up, I carried the whole tent and then my dad carried most of the food. So there were days when he weighed more than me, mm-hmm. and then days where he weighed way less than me. Um, and we just did not eat well at all. We kind of ate whatever carbs that we could stomach down, and we were trying to keep it variable all throughout the course of the ride. Um, but when you're when you're on a ride like that, you kind of have to eat like a trucker just because uh, you, you, you don't have a refrigerator. Right. Um, you don't have a microwave. We did have stoves. So in the evenings, we would maybe cook some instant rice or some ramen and add like a tuna packet to that or the mornings we sometimes had oatmeal. But overall, it was a lot of muffins, a lot of cookies. Um, but our staple lunch was peanut butter and honey on a tortilla, which mm. like a little healthier than the cookies. But we made it the 42 days and our uh, energy levels stayed good.
0: Good. Is there anything you ate along the way that you really don't want to ever eat again?
1: Ooh, not really. I didn't get sick of much. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I tried to stay away from the the fruity bars, the Nutrigrain bars. I had a couple of those, and just like instantly, did not want any more. Mm. Also, Cliff bars. After the first couple of days, we did not want any more Cliff bars. Um, so, <laughs> um, but the chocolatey Lara bars. Those ended up being okay for almost the whole trip.
0: Oh, nice. I know. Uh, I just finished up a eight day tour. This past weekend, and like the first thing that I wanted was strangely because it's something I don't drink normally, was chocolate milk, and then also like this huge salad with all kinds of fresh things. So, yes. do you remember like your first meal after getting back?
1: I had a hamburger. Ah. Yeah, we, yeah that was a, uh, and we I had had plenty of hamburgers throughout the whole trip, but I just wanted another. <laughs>
0: Well, um, one thing that you, uh, at least in my circle of friends, because everybody follows your posts or did follow your posts when you were going across America, and you had this saying, stats for the nerds, and I don't know what, where that came from, but it was very catchy, and a lot of my friends still say that to this day. So do you want to explain a little bit about your stats and mileage and just fun stuff to share?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah. So at the end of these videos, I would post the screenshot of my Strava and then say stats for the nerds. I'm not really sure how it came to be. I've heard that saying before, but it became a tagline for me. So total mileage, we were going 3,600 miles total over 42 days. If you have suggestions for other stats.
0: Yeah. So if you're looking at 3,600 miles, um, you're you're not doing a century a day, but you're definitely in The 80s and 90s, almost every day. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. We did 86 miles a day, average. Mm. Um, I think it was 280 hours of riding time, which was six and a half hours every day at about 13 miles per hour.
0: Is that the type of cycling that you're used to? You know, for six and a half hours and doing 86 miles a day, or was that more of a was that a strenuous day?
1: The tours that I have done in the past are similar to that, where we usually have road bikes. We're usually on road, tarmac. Um, So we just go for a long ride, taking breaks every hour, not trying to push at all. We're not trying to crank our gears, but it's just easy throughout the whole day if we can last that long. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And for uh, those people who don't do self-contained I feel like 13 miles an hour is, I mean, that's a pretty good clip when you have 40 or 50 pounds of gear on your bike and you're loaded down.
1: I agree. We we drafted a lot, um, just like riding with him when I was growing up, we would draft. And so, especially on the state highways where we'd, we'd be biking and there'd be mile markers every mile, it'd be two miles and then we switch two miles and then we switch. Mm. So we get some aerodynamic advantage, which is one plus about going with the group, We saw a lot of solo riders, um, the ones that we passed, and I just can't imagine having to suffer through the wind the whole time rather than taking turns suffering through the wind.
0: Sure. And uh, I don't know if you had, like, an ending date in mind or if you were just like, we're just going to get there when we get there, but do you want to share maybe about your overnight stays and how you decided your start point and your end point each day?
1: Sure. We would break camp and then ride for a couple hours and get a feel for at least the area, how our bodies were feeling. Our lowest day, we would take rest days, but for that, that for us was 40 miles, 50 miles. We would just reduce the number of hours. Mm -hmm. We never took a zero day, partly because I only had 45 days, which would be an 80 mile a day average for the route that we planned. So partway through the day, we would kind of pick a city that was near enough, to an estimated mileage, mileage that we were okay with, and then start looking for usually a stealth campsite. Sure. So we would get on Google, Google satellite view, look at different parks, look at different trails in these cities and try to find a spot that's out of the way. And that was the majority of the places that we stayed. Sometimes at the very end of the day, we would get to the city to the spot that we had scoped out and it was not great. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one case in particular that was the worst for us where we get to the city, Kimberly. Um, I think it was Kimberly, Idaho, and we wanted to go behind the high school. It looked like an okay spot, but there was a graduation event happening, oh, no. so definitely couldn't go there. There was really no other spot in this town, so we talked to a police officer, and she told us, "Nope, like no camping here, not allowed." Um, but there's a spot like seven miles away which was seven miles in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So an hour detour, which um, when you go both ways, we didn't really want to do that. Um, we kept riding a little bit um, because we found a church. So we ended up behind the church, met some people who worked there and they were really friendly and let us stay there.
0: Good, that's one of the challenging things when you're um, you know, kind of tired from the whole day and then trying to figure out a place to sleep um, can be pretty challenging.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's the most stressful point, because you're exhausted, you want to sit down, you want to stop, but you just have to keep going until you get to a place where you feel safe and where you think it's allowed, or at least where you're not going to get in trouble.
0: Yeah. Did you ever um, get headlights on your tent in the middle of the night and have to move?
1: Thankfully, no. Oh, good. We never got reprimanded. It, the only time we got reprimanded was our very last campsite in the morning, where we were taking down our tent. We were in a fairgrounds and some woman came up to us and she said, do you have permission to camp here? We said, no. And then she said, this is a fairground, not a campground. And then uh, we kept packing up and made our way out.
0: (laughs) You're like, well, thanks anyway. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Sorry. Sorry to startle you. She was just on a nice morning walk with her dog and did not expect to see two random men parked there with their tents. Sure.
0: Describe uh, the terrain. Were you, you know, able to find some good uh, pedestrian or cycling trails or low traffic roads, or were you stuck on, you know, major roads, busy roads?
1: We had a mix of everything. Out west, it was mostly state highways, just because any quieter road or trail, um, or guess quieter roads would be gravel through the mountains, which mm. we avoided. So we were state, state highways until we got into the bigger cities. Like Salt Lake City had an awesome bike trail, forty miles south down all the way into the city, mm. um, cut through Lincoln, Nebraska, all on trail, cut through a lot of Ohio and Illinois on bike trail. Um, but our ideal roads were the quiet country roads that were smooth, um, and we were able to find a bunch of those. Like there was there was one old old Route Six in Nebraska, that that's one that stands out to me. We were um, we decided to detour onto it just because we saw it on our phones and uh, ended up crossing this thing called the, the little grand Canyon, just in the middle of Nebraska. Um so, like beautiful Canyon views. Um, and then also Pennsylvania really surprised me with the road quality. Hmm. Um, we were, it was Amish country. So um, they're quiet roads anyway, but the drivers there, when they do pass us, they're used to horse and buggy. Oh, so great. they're, yeah, they're not impatient when they're, waiting to pass us. And when they do pass us, they give us plenty of room. Mm.
0: So I would probably consider those a couple of favorite places like you just mentioned, but do you have any other favorite places that maybe, you know, when you're available, you'll go back and visit again?
1: I think I would want to redo the climbs in Colorado on an unloaded bike just to, just to get perspective. We climbed Vail Pass and we also climbed Loveland Pass in Colorado. And the Vail Pass was awesome because it's an entire bike trail. There's no road at all. And then Loveland Pass is a road, but the drivers are really nice to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to redo a lot of the climbs with an unloaded bike. Yeah, I would definitely go back to Salt Lake City because there are a few climbs that we didn't get to do. Um, if anyone has been to the city before, it's just the mountains to the east um, and different ways, different roads to go up into the mountains and over them where we took one pass through Provo Canyon, but there are all these other passes that we didn't get to go to that some are more epic, some are more interesting. That's what we hear at least. Um, So I'm dreaming about going back and riding those places. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I think of when I did the ride across America, some of those really uh, like epic passes were complete, like so beautiful But it's one of those deals where you like go into your lowest gear and you just have to grind up for hours. Did you like tell me how what your thoughts were when you're like, I'm going six miles an hour and I have all this stuff on my bike. Like, how was it?
1: It was exciting. After 10 minutes for my dad and I, we kind of started the endorphin. The endorphin started working Mm -hmm. and we were in pain but didn't care about the pain and just kept a steady pace up and up and up and uh yeah we're just enjoying the whole climb and also i loved the downhills too so um the work to get to the very top was always worth it for me because you had the views you had the endorphins flowing and then also an awesome downhill to follow
0: oh for sure yeah uh and hopefully your your brakes were in good order the entire trip
1: they were thankfully yeah. we never had an issue with it um, I just got the bike in March. My dad also got his bike in March. Um, we didn't have to replace our brake pads or anything and never had any brake scares.
0: Good. Well, tell us some good stories, whether it's about people or places. What do you have?
1: Yeah. Well, one, one, our first example of great hospitality was in Idaho, where we had set up our tents at a church and we're cooking dinner. And then a man who came up and started mowing the lawn there and we were chatting with him and then he offered us to oh like come over to my place like i would love to have you so we came over to his place stayed the night in a camper his wife was out of town for the weekend so he was just really friendly and had nothing on his plate Mm. um and then yeah things generosity like that when we were leaving salt lake city there was a man who we passed he's maybe 75 on a mountain bike we passed him he passed us because we were loaded up we were going about the same pace And then we passed him again, he passed us, and then ended up, he started riding with us and just talking to us. Um, And he had lived in the area in Sandy for all of his life. Um, And I was like trying to use my phone to find the route. It was a bit annoying. And he's like, oh, let me show you, because he rides 40 miles every day. That's what he told us. Wow. So he took us on shortcuts and weaved through some trails and ended up at the base of the Provo Canyon start the, the ride to Provo Canyon and he said, I'm going to get lunch here, take the shuttle back. Nice meeting you guys. Like have a great trip. Um, so interacting with people like that were some of our favorite stories.
0: And did anything go wrong as far as mechanicals or, I mean, luckily you said your brake pads were fine, but, or like a, you know, a, a popular question is how was the weather?
1: Well, I had a lot more mechanicals than my dad, and my dad really had no ride-stopping mechanicals. The bosses on his frame where his rear rack attaches came out, and he's since gotten a Trek warranty on the frame. But he just had zip-tied his rack on, and then that was his only mechanical issue. Mm. And I, on the other hand, had two broken spokes and maybe eight or nine flat tires over the ride. Mm. But the, the only scary one was the first broken spoke because it was day two. We were headed towards Sisters, Oregon on, I think, Highway 22 or Highway 20. And there was this great mountain pass coming up that we were both excited to ride. But I broke my back spoke, spoke in my back tire. And like we were afraid keep riding and then we break another and then the whole wheel kind of falls apart.
0: Right.
1: Um, And the thing is, we we brought extra spokes, but we didn't bring extra spoke nipples. And the spoke happened to break in the nipple, um, which was a part we didn't have. And the closest bike shop was 60 miles away. Um, We decided if I break another spoke, then we stop and hitchhike. But otherwise, let's ride. Let's try to get there. So 60 miles on a broken spoke with a little wobble in my wheel and somehow made it to this awesome bike shop that also had food trucks out back.
0: Oh, nice. And,
1: uh, yeah, they were really friendly. We bought some spoke nipples, replaced it, and the bike was good to go.
0: That's uh that's actually a pretty good story because it could have gone way, way worse. Mm-hmm. And eight or nine flats, did you have tubeless tires or were you uh, carrying and changing and patching tubes?
1: We were carrying and changing and patching tubes. Uh. Uh, I think I probably could have avoided four or five of the flats if I, if I were tubeless and people in my Instagram comments were saying go tubeless, but the mess of the sealant has kept me from making the change mm. I'll, I'll have to try it out at some point and see if I like it or not.
0: Mm -hmm. And would you consider yourself a pro at changing tires now?
1: At this point, I'm comfortable with it. I have memories of my dad having my, teaching my brother and I how to do it when we were maybe like seven, we would just take our bikes apart, try to patch it, put them back together. So it's, it's been a part of my, uh, uh, skills for a long time. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of a, uh second nature at this point.
0: Yeah. And spending um you know day and night probably staying in the same tent with your dad, like has your relationship changed at all?
1: I think so. Yeah, I got to see a bit more of my dad, he got to see a bit more of me. Um so we like grew closer in that way. Yeah. And then also yeah, there's this this bond where we don't even have to talk. Um we can just exist together and ride together and like understand what's when when i'm getting angry or when i'm very happy and understand like how we both fluctuate in our environments and then be okay with each other even with these fluctuations that we have and these new experiences that we have
0: that's awesome and um i guess i may have interrupted but uh what about weather any sorts of like oh, did you get some snow or rain or anything
1: we got a lot of rain hmm. we probably got rained on not all day but at least if it's one we got rained on at least once a day for half the days we were riding, which seemed like a lot to me. Um, <clears throat> we never had horrible snow or horrible rain that we were caught out in. We did have some big storms that we somehow avoided or were in a park shelter when they came and the only challenging weather was when we were doing Vale Pass and Loveland Pass across the Continental Divide because it was mid forties and rainy. Mm. Um, the, the night when we were doing Vail Pass, the climb was okay because you're going up and you get really warm. But the descent with my wet gloves, which we didn't quite pack for, we packed for a minimum of 45. That, that was what I packed for. Mm-hmm. So going down Vail Pass, I was alternating between holding my brakes and then tucking my hands in to keep them warm, mm. um, which I would not recommend. And we, we stealth camped at the, the base of the, at the east side of Vail Pass in Frisco and then woke up, it was maybe 35 degrees. We had 3,000 feet of elevation to go to climb over the Continental Divide. And then after we packed up camp, finished eating breakfast, it started raining. So uh, high 30s and rainy, we ride for 30 minutes and my feet are soaked and freezing, my hands are soaked and freezing. Mm. And my dad is like, right, we, can't, we, we can't keep going. Like what, we, we got to stop. Um, so we stopped at this REI in Silverthorne and mold around for probably an hour, deciding what to do. Um, we were talking to some people inside and they didn't quite realize that we were touring. They just thought we were tourists on road bikes and they're like, Oh no, like I would never take a road bike up there. I just came from there. There's slush at the top. Like I wouldn't do it. Um, and after some more research, we found the trail cams for the roads all the way up and down the path. It looked clear, no snow, no slush. The forecast looked okay. So we bought thicker gloves, went over to the grocery store on the other side of the, the shopping area, bought some plastic bags to bag up our feet, put dry socks on. And then that ended up being one of the best days we had. Mm. Um, clear skies. And as we went up and up the continental divide, the clouds would just keep clearing and clearing until we got to the very top. And it was just this gorgeous view. So um, we were terrified at the start of the day, but it ended up being one of the highlights of the whole trip.
0: God, And it's so beautiful. Well, actually, all of Colorado, dare I say all the United States, I mean, is beautiful. But to be at the top mm-hmm. of that pass, um, I was in Colorado the beginning of June and um, we were trying to bike up and over a pass and they ended up closing it because it was snowing so hard. It was like blizzard conditions. So oh, wow! I can't imagine you guys, you know, without access to a car, you can't really go around the mountain. So I'm glad that you had success that in that aspect.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the alternative was hitchhike, which is okay, but we tried to do without it.
0: Right. So here's a side question. You know, you're talking about having gear t- um, to go down to 45 degrees. When you got home, was there anything in your panniers that you never touched?
1: There was, really? but it was safety related. Okay. We, we never touched our, like... Uh, We never touched some of our medical gear, like the emergency blankets or ibuprofen, that kind of thing. And I also never used my water filter, Hmm. but I never, I didn't want to send that home because it's, it's valuable to have. We just happened to be able to find enough water every single day through a store.
0: And then on the flip side, is there anything like, let's say you're going to do the exact same trip again. Is there anything you would add to your bags? Hmm. Based on your story, I would say you should have added you should maybe add waterproof socks because they would keep you warmer. But I don't know if that would be a luxury item, you know what I mean?
1: I think it would be a luxury item. Um I would wear the waterproof socks in the morning, I think, because I really didn't like getting my feet wet in the grass and mm-hmm. the dew. I would also maybe take a smaller tent we had a three-person tent which was really comfortable a lot of space in there but with how much space I had in the bags the tent took up a lot of it Um, so it would have made my bag system a little easier to have a smaller tent
0: okay so as a whole you ride your bike across the entire United States you saw a little bit of everything as far as every kind of weather, every kind of terrain. Um, Do you have any significant takeaways, whether it's about the people or the country?
1: Yeah, and I was starting to think this already a little bit before the trip, just from doing road trips across the U.S., but people are really just people no matter where you go. The introductions seem a little different. Like in the Midwest, the introductions to new people were very easy but in other parts of the country, they were a bit more skeptical. Mm. And then once you get past that, show you're a human, show you're safe, then everyone was really similar. They had the same curiosities about what we were doing. They asked similar questions, they were saying similar things and were just similarly friendly. I would say pretty much everyone we interacted with was friendly regardless of where we were, which kind of feels uniting where Um, there's not like a Midwest nice or a Southern nice, like everybody has some amount of nice Mm -hmm. where, um, you can interact with them and get along with them and be with them.
0: That's yeah, very well said. And is it something that, you know, as you're biking across the United States and you have all this stuff on your bike, are most people kind of like, what the heck are you two doing? Or are they more like, wow, father and son, what a great team go
1: for it? Yeah, there were two types of people, I would say. The ones that didn't know what bike touring was Mm -hmm. and the ones who did know what it was. So the people who didn't know what it was, we would say, oh, hey, we've been on this for 32 days now, and they would just jaw to the floor like, what? (laughs) Um, And then there would be other people, like one guy at a gas station. He just walked up to us, and he's like, that's a cross-country tour setup if I ever saw one. (laughs) He just started (laughs) chatting about his cross-country tours with us. Um, but yeah, that's how I would split the the reactions to our trip.
0: And here you are now, probably uh, back in school or classes and, um, don't have the luxury of planning the next big tour, but what's next?
1: What's next? I focus on my studies a little bit. I'm finished with classes at this point in my PhD going into year four. So it's all about research. Mm. Um, my advisor let me take that time off. So it's catching up right now, showing her that it was okay to let me take all that time off. And then I have a bunch of weekend trips. I love going up to New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine. Um, and hopefully next year, I'm able to take a similar amount of time off and pick another grand adventure. Maybe something abroad, maybe the Great Divide mountain bike trail. Oh, yeah. I haven't figured it out yet, but this... The options are endless right now.
0: Sure. And after you got back, is biking still a, a priority in your life?
1: Yep. Okay. I, I love biking still. Um, I noticed the first couple of days I got back, I didn't bike for two days and I was just restless and nothing was quite as entertaining. So I got back on the bike and like <clears throat> tried to go for some long rides, mm-hmm. push myself, see what a bike feels like without any of the weight on it and now i'm kind of riding 3 days a week there are a couple there's some great group rides in boston that i go to and then in august i'm riding up the biggest mountain on the east coast mount washington in a in a race ride kind of thing oh wow
0: so you're probably training for that right now
1: yep i i've been i live near a large hill so i've just been going up and down that hill a lot and trying to find elevation wherever i can Plus, wow. I, I just bought a new cassette for my bike, which has some larger gears to hopefully make the the challenge of the Mount Washington hill climb a little um, lower. Sure.
0: Are you still using the same bike you used for across the U.S.?
1: Same bike. It's so comfortable uh-huh. and, yeah, fit to me. And it's my main bike right now. Sure. I love it so much. It's a it's a Trek Checkpoint SL5. Mm.
0: Well, if people want to kind of, you know, see the adventure you've been on, your videos are awesome, by the way. I don't know if I said that at the beginning, but where can they go to look look for more on your adventure?
1: Yeah, on Instagram and on TikTok. My username is Sam C. Westby. I posted daily vlogs all forty two days of the bike trip and now I've been posting maybe three days a week about my daily life and bike rides that I'm doing back here in Boston.
0: Excellent. Well, Sam, I appreciate you coming on the podcast to share your story. And it was really a joy watching you each day with your venture adventures with your dad.
1: Thanks so much, Murph. I'm glad we could share the adventure and thanks for having me on.
0: You bet. Well, listeners, that's it for this week. Email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting. Support my podcast at patreon.com slash morphology and visit both my Facebook and Instagram pages for daily entertainment. I have more great episodes in the pipeline, so I hope you continue to be a Morphology Podcast listener.